Hello, and welcome to Midweek in the Word podcast, brought to you by Faith Bible in Lincoln, Nebraska. Every week, we strive to become better readers, hearers, and doers of God's Word. Look for us every Wednesday where you stream your podcasts. Here's our host, Faith Bible's Adult Ministries pastor, Brad Myers. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Midweek in the Word. We're so thankful you've chosen to take a little time and listen in with us. We hope you enjoyed our episode last week and getting to hear from Jennifer Huber, FBC's communications director, hearing a little bit about what motivates her and her ministry and what she does here at the church. Um, but I'm also excited for this week's episode. I'm excited to get back into our series, Bearing Witness, with the first of three two-part books. We've got First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, which will all be taken in one bite. So Samuel, <laughs> Kings, Chronicles. This week we have the books of Samuel. I'm looking forward to a fun dialogue as we head into Israel's historical king period and the establishment of that as we move out of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. But before we get into that discussion, before we start talking about kings and everything that goes into that, I want to welcome back our guest this week on the podcast. Back again, Tom Rempel, FBC's senior pastor. Thank you, Tom, for joining us. Thanks, Brad. Nice to be back again. I'm, I'm glad to have you, and I appreciate yeah. you jumping in here. Uh, we had a different teacher teach on yeah. First and Second Samuels in our Old Testament survey class, but uh, he moved, and so Tom was willing to pinch hit for me here, and I really appreciate uh, your willingness to come and jump in on this, Tom. Uh, but also, let me let me note before we move in to First and Second Samuel here that last Sunday, Tom, you talked about Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 29, wrapping up the 12th chapter yeah. there, as the book continued to exhort us to endure endurance and to focus and it focused on God's unshakable kingdom. Just that incredible reminder for us. Listeners, if you missed Tom's message, you can always go to our website, faithbiblelincoln.org, and find any of those old messages. You just hit the media button and go down and hit the sermons button, and you can find any of those past sermons that have been preached. You can also follow our sermons feed podcast. Just search for Faith Bible Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, wherever you get your podcast. Black background, white letters, that's our sermons feed podcast. And you can catch up on any times you've missed, especially as we had spring break and summer's coming up. I know people will be traveling. We'd love to have you catch up on any messages that you may have been out of town for. All right, Tom, well, shifting gears here from Hebrews into First and Second Samuel, let's, let's dive in here. I, I expect right. most of our listeners are probably familiar with this book as the book about King David, right? You know, people are, are, are generally familiar, but we know there's a whole lot more to this book than David and Goliath. Uh, though that may be the more popular thing that people remember. Uh, so let's start with the basic building blocks here. What is the occasion, what is the situation of the book or books of First and Second Samuel? Well, First Samuel covers uh, about a 100-year period of uh, Jewish history, and Second uh, Samuel about 40 years roughly. But First uh, Samuel, really, the, the hinge here takes you back to the book of Judges. And so Samuel, by, for whom the two books are named, is, is the last judge of Israel and the first prophet officially. And uh, so we move then to a season where we, we talked about in Judges that every man did that which is right in his own eyes because there was no king <laughs> right. in Israel. Then we went to the book of Ruth where we said that we had empty wombs and empty beds and mm. an empty throne. So we climax it with an empty throne, but then there's that... There's that, uh, what do I say, genealogy that promises yep. that there is coming a king. Yep. And so now we are introduced to those kings that were prophe prophesied there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so give us, give us a time period here. Try to place this somewhere on our chronological time period. We've had the Exodus, we've had Joshua and Judges, they've moved into the land. Where are we about in historical time? Well, it, it, they've been in the land for a significant number of time, probably 400 plus years. 
and, uh, and, and they are still just a scattered group of tribes. It was more of a mm. tribal rather than it wasn't really uh, an organized kingdom as such. But the tribes cooperated, and then they didn't cooperate as we closed in Judges. Uh, so there really is lacking a sense of cohesiveness and organization. Mm. It's a theocracy. God serves as king, and he rules through judges, of which Samuel is. But the, the people are, are, as we'll find out halfway through the first one, uh, they are no longer willing to embrace that theocracy. They mm. want a king they can see. Yeah. And basically, they want what the other people have. So there's this, this unsettled season in the nation that they are dissatisfied with where they are. They want something, and they're going to suggest mm. to God a solution to their problem. Mm. <laughs> okay, so the nation's in disarray. There's a lot of lack of cohesion going on. They're, they're going to ask for a king. Yeah. Okay, so then we know we've got the book of 1 Samuel, we've got the book of 2 Samuel, but how does this story, as it kind of all is one book, how is it organized? How does it lay itself out? Well, the early part has to do with the uh, with the birth. It's one of those uh, barren womb narratives, again, mm. that are consistent through the Old Testament history. But it, it begins with the birth of a messenger for God. Mm. Uh, he, is, uh, he is prayed for. Uh, his mother wants a child. If you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. When he's weaned, she takes him to Eli, who serves as the high priest at, in the in the temple, or I'm sorry, in the in the tabernacle at this point, still the tent. But Eli's sons are like the men of Judges. So yeah. they, they have the position, but they don't have the heart for it. Yeah. And uh, so God then brings a godly little guy in that then picks up the ministry, and he shifts then from focus really on the temple and more to an itinerant judge who ministers to the people separate from the tent, as it were. And, uh, and then uh, the people at, at so he, he serves his entire uh, life. His sons are not of the same character as he is, chapter 8. And so the people say, you know, your sons are doing the work, but they're not the men of that kind of character. Mm. We want a king. And so then we're introduced to King Saul, the first monarch, the first ruler as a king. So suddenly the judges, there was no king in Israel. Now there is a king in Israel. And he starts out at age 35, very promising. He's humble and he's reserved. Yeah. And, yeah. But um, he, he serves for 40 years, but uh, he's not very far into his reign, into his rule, until his true character is revealed. And uh, he, he resists the Lord. So the Lord says, well, I'm going to take the kingdom out of his hand. Mm. And um, so he was going to raise up another king, not from Saul's family, but instead then we're introduced to David the shepherd boy. Mm. Yeah, and, and much much of this story, once once David enters the scene, much of the story seems to seems to hinge on the dichotomy between David as this anointed but not yet realized yep. king yep. and Saul as this king that the people wanted, who ultimately is a failure in God's sight. And the dichotomy between their hearts, the dichotomy between how they rule, the dichotomy between how they handle their enemies. You know, so many differences between yeah. Saul and David as we move back and forth between these yeah. two characters through the book. Um, if it's fair to say, um, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it, it's kind of like First Samuel tells like Samuel and then Saul's story, and Second Samuel seems to more focus on David as we see that transition, that flip. Yeah, there, there is a, the spotlight tends to move, but it, it seems as though, as you said, that that he uses Saul almost as the canvas backdrop mm. to show the character of the one that he will give the covenant, the Davidic mm. covenant to in 2 Samuel yeah. 7. Yeah. So it's like, well, it, if man 
solves their own problem their way, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. And so they got the king that they wanted, and it turned out that God gave them what they wanted, not what they needed. Yeah. But he uses Saul to display what a true king is, again, casting a forward shine to well, the ultimate, who's the ultimate king. Yeah. Um, and then in there, too, is that uh, it's also interesting that Samuel is the longed-for son who is given to Eli, who has two loser sons, and then Samuel becomes the faithful, loyal one. But then Samuel ends up with two unfaithful sons. And then along comes Saul, who is an unfaithful king, who has a very faithful son named Jonathan, who is the best friend of David, <laughs> who is going to get the crown and the throne that he was supposed to be heir to. Yes. So you have this, this, this transformation or this, this, this inversion, as it were, generation to generation. Yeah, I... Jonathan is is for me one of the most staggering characters yeah. in the entirety of the Old Testament. I just I am shocked by his faithfulness in spite of his father's unfaithfulness, yeah. his friendship with David. I mean, to think of somebody in that time period who their father is the king, he gets the news, you've been rejected by God, and your best friend is going to basically steal your crown yep. Yep. and to be like, Nope, my heart's with you, David. I'm yep. with whoever God appoints. That is just a no. staggering character yeah, example. And, and so not, little time is given to Jonathan. Not just with you, but I'm going to put my life on the line to yeah. protect you. Yeah. You're the king, and here's all the trappings of that. Yes. And I'm going to go to my dad, and I'm going to find out what his plan is, and I'm going to reveal it to you. Yeah. I'm going to protect you, even though you're getting what should have been rightfully mine. Yeah, and ultimately yeah. even is killed in battle as a result of yeah. his father's failure. Yeah. He's just he's just quite the figure throughout yeah. the Old Testament. I, I I find him fascinating. But okay, so so we recognize that we're we're dealing with this this transitional time period in Israel's history. Uh, over the next couple of weeks we're going to cover the rest of the kings and kings and chronicles and, and a, a large swath of Israel's history yeah. where they continue to have these kings, but this establishes the kingly rule, the nation state to some degree, as you would see it, Saul, and then you've got Samuel, then you've got Saul, then you've got David. This is a story being told. But, but then if it's, if it's this long story, it's doing a whole lot more than just trying to tell us Israel's history. We're not writing an Israel's history textbook here. How, sh- how should this book be read biblically? Well, I, I think, again, we, we have to read it saying these, these stories keep pointing forward to something. So suddenly you have, it, it begins again with another one of those barren womb narratives that has been typical. We've had Sarah, we've had Rebecca, we've had Rachel, we've had Tamar, we mm-hmm. had Ruth, yeah. and then suddenly we have Hannah. Yeah. And so then it sets us up for miracle conceptions and births, which cast, as we know, a shadow forward to the New Testament when these wombs who should have had sons in them are empty, but yeah. then there's a womb that should be empty, and it has a son in it. So you have this this, this portrait of the conception and the birth of Jesus looking mm-hmm. forward. And then I think you also you have to read it from the perspective of if God is king, how is he going to rule his people on earth while well, he sits upon his throne in heaven? And so he he gives them a human representative who is vertically accountable, mm-hmm. but at the same time, uh, they, it's as, as though they press forward because Samuel took it personal. Uh, he says, you know, they have rejected me yeah. because he came to the end of his life and they realized that there, there's just not a lot of Samuels out there. So what we need is a king. And God says, no, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. 
as their king. So give yeah. them what they want. Yeah. And then say, so in despair, you go, well, maybe that's not it. And God goes, no, just let me pick the guy. Yeah. And I'm training him in there. So you, you see the, the providence of God at work in a long period. So I think you read it. You're always looking for how do I see the hiddenness of God in the unfolding purposes of God? Mm. And that's the, the beauty. And of course, uh, I, I, I'd made myself an, a note here that um, 261 times in the Old Testament, God is declared to be the Lord of hosts. And it occurs in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, that theme that runs over and over. When David is taking on Goliath, he calls his God the God of the armies of heaven. So all of a sudden, this one king is going to be known for his great military victories, early on recognizes that victory only belongs to God. Mm. And this, and, you know, to our our earlier point about David and Saul too, this this theme of where is God in this and how are God's people going to respond to God is played out so dramatically in the people of David and Saul, right? You know, Saul repeatedly He's given a task, he's supposed to accomplish it, and he does it in his own, or in his own way, yeah. in his own timing, does it in his own power. Uh, he's supposed to be the one that's anointed by God to do it God's way, as opposed to then you've got David, the shepherd boy, who's now anointed by God, yeah. doesn't have the authority, doesn't have the throne, doesn't have this, and he's patiently waiting. Yeah. In spite of Saul trying to kill him, patiently waiting for God's timing when Saul is moved on, when, well, when ultimately Saul is killed. And I mean, how many, how many years, remind me, how many years was David waiting where he was anointed but wasn't yet actually yeah, the king? A minimum of 15. Yeah. yeah maybe, had... maybe as many as 20. I was just looking at the numbers in my margins here, but at least a decade and a half that he knows, his family knows, his brothers are there, yes. but nobody else knows that he is the king in waiting and yet he just faithfully said, yeah, the shocker is you read through it, you see the character of David who loves his enemy even. So when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, you know, love your enemies, but well, David did. He had a chance to snuff Saul out who was trying to kill him. It would have been very justifiable. And time after time, he says, no, how could I do that to the Lord's anointed? In fact, he one time, just to let him know that he was close enough to kill him, he cuts off a piece of his garment in the cave, and then he feels bad about even that. That that was an affront to God's appointed king. Yeah. So yeah, we learn how to how to respect and honor those that God puts in place, even if they're they turn out not to be our friend, as it were. It it is just a staggering story to see David waiting, and and the fact that for so long the people kind of saw David that way. You know, he had been leading the army. He had, yeah. you know. Saul has slayed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Yeah. And, and the people rallied to David so quickly because they recognized, you know, <laughs> this is who God. Yeah. But his patience is just staggering. He goes, no, in God's timing, in yeah. God's way, I will wait for him to do what only he can do. And that reminding us of where is God? Well, God is orchestrating these events. We just have to trust him and wait on him. Which brings us kind of to the next point. Like, what, what is it that First and Second Samuel is trying to communicate? What's the primary message? If you could synthesize down all these chapters into one well, message, what is it trying to say? I, yeah, I, I think overall it is the promise that there is yet one who will represent the Father as a perfect king, uh, one who honors God and who honors God's people, uh, one who is faithful. But mostly it says is that God God is the God of history and that God's purposes will be fulfilled. So even even David, who was not perfect, who failed chapter, or uh, when you get to the second Samuel, the second mm-hmm. half, 
of the story. Uh, David was a great man, but he wasn't a perfect man. And yet, even through that, it's to him that God gives the Davidic covenant. There will be one who will reign. So he took the throne out of the line of Saul. He placed it in the line of David, and he promised David that there would ultimately be a son of David who would sit forever upon that throne. So Mm. you have to read it stepping back and looking at the big picture. And so when Jesus comes and walks on the earth, even the blind can see who he is. And they say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy Mm. on us. So Again, it's always pointing forward to God's ultimate king, ultimate. And he is the one that we know is right now seated at the right hand of the Father. So, again, you have to read it looking forward. It doesn't resolve itself when you get to the end. In fact, David's got this great dream. He says, you know, I'm living in this palace and God is worshipped in a tent. I'm going to build God a house equal to my palace. And he said, you're a man of war. He said, your son Solomon. So we're introduced to the third king before he closes out the second Samuel chapter that your son will build what you desire to build. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, I love, I love that this, the second, especially second Samuel just paints this picture of, of David as a type of Christ where ultimately it's going the perfect king. And it leaves us with a question like, who is this son of David? Like, when will, when will God send this righteous king, this son of David? And it, it leaves you with a cliffhanger because it goes, okay, and Solomon's born. Yeah. Okay, it's going to be Solomon, this right? This is Solomon. This is right? him. Yeah. And Kings and Chronicles yeah. lays out, was it Solomon? Well, no, it wasn't Solomon. Yeah. Was, it, was it, you know, Josiah? Well, no, it yeah. wasn't Josiah. Was it Uzziah? No, it wasn't Josiah. You know, it, it begs this yeah. question out of Kings and Chronicles, are any of these kings yeah. going to be the king? And, that, and that's, that, that narrative takes you all the way back to Genesis chapter yeah. 4, yes. where Eve goes, okay, I got my man. And then her, her man kills her second man, and so she gets a third one. She goes, right. maybe this is one. Is this ultimately the head crusher? And no. So you, yeah, so you come here again. It's like, okay, it wasn't Saul, but I understand that. The people wanted to choose their own man. God mm. chooses his man. This is it. Then he goes, no, Solomon. And like you said, you read the next book going, okay, I think this is how the story's going to wrap up. No, it's going to drag on. <laughs> it feels like it should end with yeah. a short, you know, conclusion right yeah. after Second Samuel, and that's the end of the story. God sent His yeah. King, but there's so much more to it. Now, obviously, this all bleeds into our our fifth question as far as how do we see Christ testified about. But let's let's try to get into the weeds here a little bit specifically because there are some specific things given to David that I think are worth noting in First and Second Samuel. So, where do we see Christ testified about in these books? In this book. Well, in so many ways, the first thing that we don't want to overlook is it's during this period, especially of Second Samuel, that so many of the great psalms were written. Mm. And even in the writing of the psalms, there are those, we call them the messianic psalms. There's the promise of the one who will come and who will reign. Yeah. So we see it there. And then I think we see in this, we see in Samuel that our God is prophet he is priest, and then in David, we see he is a king. And so Samuel begins his ministry working as in the priesthood, as it were, in the tent. Then he becomes the prophet, the voice of God to the people of God. And then he anoints the king who becomes the ruler, the monarch, on behalf of God. And we see in Christ Jesus all three of those come together. So there's, there's just one motif after the other that laces it through that has little images 
of Christ. But I think ultimately it is in seeing that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And mm. the hymns that were written, included in the Psalms, are hymns about him. Mm. We look forward, we sing those, we think of those. He mm. is our rock, he is our refuge, he is our mighty fortress, he is our strength. Mm. You know, why, why is it that the nations chafe at him. Mm. Ultimately, they're going to bow before him. So David celebrates that repeatedly. And that all kind of that all kind of gets fleshed out. And, and, and I want you to explain this terminology a little bit. We've referenced it at different times on the podcast as well, but how David becomes a, a type of Christ. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Explain what we mean a little bit by that as we read this book. Well, we see in a type some shadow of the real thing. It's mm. not the full fulfillment. So we say there is one like unto. Yeah. And so when you see a type, it, it, that in David's case, it is one who is a victorious king. He is a victorious champion. He is one who is humble before God. Uh, he, is, he is one who rules with kindness and strength, all of which are shadows of Jesus, but not complete fulfillment. There's still something lacking. So unlike David, Jesus was perfect. He was tempted in every way, but not without sin. So a yeah. type hints to, gives a shadow of, but it doesn't fully paint the picture. Yeah, which is so true of David, yeah. you know, in so many ways. Yeah. As we start reading the book, and he's, he's, you know, we get, again, the familiar stories, we get David Goliath, and we get so many times when David is so faithful, we go, well, yeah. maybe he's the one, yeah. right? And then we yeah. get these stories about Bathsheba, and we get the stories about the yeah. taking the, the count of all the people, and we go, okay, never mind, <laughs> David, yeah. clearly. But he does still point us forward to well, one who does. would be like him, but perfect. And I was just thinking, too, even in, in 2 Samuel, you know, we, we talk about the 15-plus years that David waited before the death of Saul, and then when Saul and Jonathan's death is announced, David grieves over that. It wasn't like he was just waiting yeah. for the guy to get out of the way. But yeah. then a portion of the nation recognizes David as the king, but for seven years he is only king over a portion of the nation. And yeah. you get a little, again, it's another one of those little shadows going, you know, Jesus came and he presented himself as a king to the nation. But they didn't all embrace him at that time. Mm. In our case, it's longer than a seven-year wait. But ultimately, yeah. every knee will bow and tongue confess, even the nation of Israel in repentance, but not yet today. Mm. So the seven-year wait is a bit of a shadow of there's going to be a presentation and a waiting mm. and then a coronation. Yeah, interesting. Interesting pictures here in First and Second Samuel. Okay, so lastly, obviously, this is this is good academic stuff. Maybe this is yeah. <laughs> intriguing to all of us, and hopefully, it's in in enlightening as as people begin to read First and Second Samuel again for themselves over the course of this year or whenever they get back to this book. Um, but finally, we have to make sure we're talking about what the point of this book is. What what were we supposed to understand, believe, do, or desire as a result? What's the application of a book like First and Second Samuel? Well, again, God, God has called us into an intimate relationship with himself and that our lives have meaning and purpose. And though this is only 140 years between these two books of God's market history, the fact is that our lives fit into that story as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always think that when you think about the transition between Saul as king and David, uh, you have to think about 1 Samuel 15, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and presumption is like iniquity and idolatry. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. We, we mm. take away from that that it is not my 
acts or words of worship, but it's my conformity to obedience that the Lord looks for. So as you're reading it, you're saying, Lord, where, where am I like Samuel, who I'm willing to be faithful even though there's faithless around me? Or where am I like Saul, where I want to do it my way and I rebel against you? Or where can I be like David, where I, I am obedient to you and submissive, and when I fail that I come back in repentance, cast myself on your mercy? Mm-hmm. So again, it's, it's, a, it's a model for how to walk humbly before the Lord while at the same time recognizing that God ultimately has a plan to use my life in telling his story. Mm. And again, it, uh, the flip side of, of Saul there would be David, you know, right, where we, we get David's older brothers all being paraded before Samuel, and Samuel looks on the outside and says, these must be the right kings, yeah. right? And yeah. you get the youngest, you get this little guy yeah. over here, David, who's like, God's looking at the heart. You know, man yeah. looks at the outward appearance, but God looks Always at the heart. the heart. Later on in the book, we find out David was a man, quote, after God's own heart. Yeah. Right, God is really desiring intimacy. He's desiring our hearts more than just our external obedience or our sacrifices. And the interesting thing is that was declared in retrospect, looking back on what was it. He wasn't perfect, but when he failed, he always fell before the Lord and asked for mercy and grace. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And that's a it's a good reminder for all of us, again, that none of us will be perfect in this life, but all of us should act like David in that respect. When we fail, yeah. that defines where our hearts are at. Yeah. And how do we respond to our failure? Um, how do we respond to our success is appropriate, too. <laughs> like, yeah. there's some warnings there, yeah. as well as when things go well, there's some danger as well for David and Saul. Um, well, that's about it for the books of First and Second Samuel. I realize we've briefly covered what is an <laughs> extensive period, both in Israel, Israel's history and quite a few pages in your own Bibles, this 140-year period, about 1,000 B.C. or so in Israel's history as the Davidic kingdom gets established, as we see the establishment of these people from kind of the chaos of the book of Judges and Ruth that we saw in the last couple of weeks. Um, the general movement here is, you know, we start with Samuel's rise up, we get this last judge, first prophet, you know, this kind of idea between the two. King Saul occupies most of 1 Samuel, and then we get David in 2 Samuel. The point being, where is God in all this? God's sovereignty, God's hand mm-hmm. is clearly upon the nation at this point. He's saying, you rejected me as your king, so I'm going to give you one that you may be asked for, and then I'm going to raise up one who's really going to point forward to the perfect king that will one day come that we see in so many of the Messianic Psalms that you talked about as well, David. Or <laughs> Tom, yeah. excuse me, not yeah. David. I'm the other uh, guy. <laughs> like, there's that too. Um, but I do love your point here that really the point is that God desires our heart. Yeah. And that was that was David's redeeming characteristic. In comparison to all the things he did wrong, he was a man after God's own heart. And that is an encouragement for us as well, yeah. of what God really wants from us. Yeah. Any final thoughts or encouragements for our listeners on this, Tom? Well, you, you, you can't read the story of David and his patience and his humility and his waiting. But mostly uh, you see the humble brokenness of the man when he writes mm. the, the 51st Psalm. Oh, if sacrifice and offering you desired, I could give that to you. But all you'll accept from me is a broken and a contrite spirit. And, and so uh, David realizes he had committed a sin for which the law gave no sacrifice, no covering. Hmm. It was a death penalty sin. But he knew that the one thing he could bring to the Lord was a broken and contrite spirit. And we need to be reminded of that, that we're not perfect ourselves. But when we come to grips with our failure, if we just cast ourselves on his mercy, we'll find Mm. grace. Mm. Amen. Amen. 
Well, that's it for First and Second Samuel listeners. Hopefully this is helpful to you as you begin reading it the next time for yourselves. Uh, let me just remind you here real quickly that this coming Sunday, Tom will be tackling the rest of Hebrews, thir- or he's going to be moving into Hebrews 13, excuse me, looking at the first six-ish verses, though there's a little bit of flexibility <laughs> there, seeing how far we get in Hebrews 13. We'd love to have you read that chapter in anticipation of the message on Sunday, and we'd love to see you at either our 9 o'clock or 1030 services. I also want to make sure I'm putting a bug in your ear and reminding you that our Good Friday service is coming up. It's Easter season as spring and the weather begins to change. 6.30 p.m. on April 15th will be our Good Friday service, and then we'll have normal services at 9 and 10.30 on Easter morning on April 17th. We'd love to see you at either of those. And then, Tom, your last service preaching here uh, is coming up as well the following week on the 24th, 10 a.m. at Lincoln Christian Schools. Uh, should be a good time. We'll be looking forward to that one as well. And thank you, listeners, for taking the time to listen to this week's episode on First and Second Samuel. We do hope it's been an encouragement to you. If it has, remember, you can share it, rate it, or comment on it to help other people find it. And we hope you join us again next week as we cover Kings on Midweek in the Word. Thanks for taking time to join us for Midweek in the Word. To hear previous podcast episodes, be sure to follow, like, and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about Faith Bible Church, please visit our website at www.faithbiblelincoln.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Faith Bible Lincoln or tweet us at FBC Lincoln. And now we leave you with these encouraging words from Hebrews 12. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith.